And if you'll remain standing for the reading of God's word from Romans 15, 14 and following, hear the word of God. It says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Uh, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of the work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all, around, all the way around to uh, Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been already named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written in Isaiah 52, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia uh, have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed all this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As you consider uh, this uh, text, uh, it's travel plans. It is travel plans. It's insight. As I was uh, traveling with, with, uh, with Cody, we had to get our plans together. And then in that time together, uh, going to Presbytery, you come to lo- know things about each other because you're spending time together. Uh, at one point, we're, we're, we're roommates, and we're, we're getting, uh, getting prepared to go to sleep. And he says, you're wearing a retainer? And I said, it's a mouth guard. I grind my teeth. Yeah, it's like, you wouldn't know that uh, if you weren't uh, roommates with me, right? So, yeah, now you know. I'm, wearing, I'm trying to wear a mouth guard, but I'm not wearing it very well. One morning I woke up, and it wasn't in my mouth. I'm like, did I eat it? Where'd it go? Apparently I threw it across the room uh, in my sleep. Uh, and so, so, so it's like these things you'd only know through experience. And so you're getting in this text a little bit of the person. 
Paul, right? He's an apostle. He's a minister of Christ by his grace, and he has these plans. He's trying to help the poor in Jerusalem, and, and he's been saying uh, for a long time he's going to come to Rome, but uh, he's been putting them off because he's got all these places he's got to preach. He's got to plant churches all over, and this uh, area he's speaking of, uh, Illyricum, is this area of the um, uh, you know, Western or Eastern Europe, uh, the Croatia area I mentioned earlier. Uh, so he's been all over the place. He feels like his work there is finally reaching its completion, and he's going to move from Corinth down to Jerusalem, and then he's going to, uh, to take the offering after he gets it, and he's going to come back through Rome to go to Spain. Spain was kind of the end of the line. Uh, if they get to Spain, they've reached the ends of the earth there, Spain and England, uh, Britain there. And so that's the idea there is he wants to go there. So if you want to think about Rome, uh, Romans, the, the letter to Romans, uh, if, you, if you think about it in, a, in an outline form, it's question, or chapters 1 through 11 is sort of the, the great exposition of the gospel. And then you've got chapters 12 through 15 and a half, where we, we just got through, was the great exhortation according to the gospel. And you have uh, 15, 14, where we started there to the end, travel plans and shout outs. Yeah, so it's not like the most exciting uh, portion, but, but we believe in sola scriptura. We believe in the word of God alone for salvation. So, so we preach through the whole Bible together. Uh, as we can, word by word, verse by verse. And I tell you, this may be one of those, those sermons that you don't think it's uh, going to get you, but it's going to sneak up on you uh, and, and get you. So let's see here. So today we're going to ask, uh, what can a Christian learn and benefit by reading the Apostles' travel plan? And I think that the, the answer is you get to see his heart, as I mentioned. And his heart is for the people to know the gospel, of course. And that's, that's kind of an obvious point, right? This is an apostle. Uh, he's mentioned this numerous times. He's been saying the gospel over and over again. And he's, and he's speaking about how he wants to, to go to where it hasn't been heard. He's got scripture proof for that. He uses Isaiah 52, 15. And he wants to, to make known that, that that's why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, and I think that's important to know. Uh, let me start with a story here to, to kind of elucidate this. Is that uh, apparently in 1666, back in London, there was a great fire and at the time, one of the world's most famous architects was a man named Christopher Wren, uh, W-R-E-N. And he was commissioned to rebuild uh, a building called St. Paul's Cathedral. Well, five years later, uh, Christopher Wren observed three bricklayers standing on a scaffold. Uh, well, one was crouching, one was half standing, and one was standing tall. And they're all working hard and fast. The first bricklayer, Christopher Wren, asked him a question. He says, what are you doing? And the bricklayer replied, I'm a bricklayer. I'm working hard laying bricks to feed my family. The second bricklayer responded, I'm a builder. I'm building a wall. The first guy, bricklayer. Secondly, I'm a builder building a wall. Uh, third bricklayer, the one who's doing the most work, the most productive of the three, and the future leader of the group, when asked the question, what are you doing? He replied with a gleam in his eye, I'm a cathedral builder. I'm building a great cathedral to the Almighty. It's a fascinating story, right? You've got three men with very different perspectives on what they were doing. They're all kind of doing the same thing, but they have different perspectives on what they're doing. One is a bricklayer laying bricks to feed the family. One is building a wall because uh, he's a builder. And one is building a great cathedral for the glory of his maker, Almighty. Now, as you think about that, where do you find your calling? Where do you, we all have different callings, different things we're doing and filling our days with, but what are you doing with it? And this is this this Paul. You don't have to be a uh, an apostle uh, to have some kind of grand vision 
uh, of your life. And I would say that if we think rightly and biblically about what we're doing, is, that, is, is this. And this is the big idea that I want to present to you today uh, you know, as, we, as we study this text, is that Paul's life was bound up in God's plan to build an eschatological temple, right, of living people, people, not bricks, but it's constructed of human beings, forgiven, redeemed, sanctified, justified. Uh, and, and this would be accomplished through the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a building project that, that is eternal. And it's bigger than our lifespan. It's been going on for centuries before us and will continue on until the Lord returns. Uh, this building project. And Paul finds himself as this minister. And he uses language of the uh, priestly service uh, in the temple here. If you look at uh, 14, it says, uh, oh, you know, you're so full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to instruct one another. He's over the top just... Uh, you know, flattering them, right? He's telling them good things about what he knows about them. And the 15, he says, oh, well, don't, don't take it too bad. I've been giving it to you. I've given, given you the business about the gospel because of the grace given to me. I'm an apostle, don't you know? And 16, it says, I'm a minister of Christ Jesus. This word is actually literally uh, liturgist or liturgy, right? Uh, this word for minister, uh, rather than the, uh, the servant word, diakonos, uh, he uses the liturgy word there, which has more to do with priestly service. And this priestly service word uh, leads to, uh, it says, uh, uh, it says, a minister of Jesus Christ in verse 16 to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now this, this idea of a, of a priest being a minister, we don't have priests today, we have ministers, right? But a priest would present a sacrifice to God in the Old Testament. Uh, the first one uh, that we have uh, devoted there would be Aaron, uh, the brother of Moses. And his whole life was to be, according to the scriptures in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, devoted to the worship of God and to the tabernacle and temple worship of God, right? So what he's saying here is that, that, that he is functioning as a priest and the offering he presents is those whom he's told the gospel to. So he's, he's bringing... Uh, worship to God, and he presents those whom receive the gospel as his offering or sacrifice. And you remember, if you've been with us a few weeks, uh, Romans 12.1 says that now we are living sacrifices, right? 12.1 and 2, that's the theme of the great exhortation, is now we are not dead sacrifices, but we are living, redeemed gospel creatures who live our lives in response in light of what we have found in Christ, the grace that we found in Christ. So as you consider that, Paul speaks in this priestly temple language, offering up offerings and sacrifices. His whole life is devoted, and he, and he presents the people before God uh, in that way. Now, the ultimate priest is not Paul or Aaron. It's Christ. Christ is the true priest. He's the one who who does the work that no earthly priest could do, as Hebrews tells us. So this priestly offering is remarkable about Paul's self-conception. Uh, he's involved in walking, uh, dusty roads. Um, he's been beaten, rejected. Um, he sees himself, though, in his own mind as donning priestly garments, uh, doing temple things, uh, lifting up the souls of men. 
So they become a sweet-smelling fragrance to Christ. Uh, he views himself as a cathedral builder, uh, not as a bricklayer, not as a doing mundane tasks, but he's, appreh- he's apprehending this dazzling picture of an eschatological temple, an end-times temple made of living people. That's Paul's priestly ministry. So that is the, that's what Paul's calling was. Is, and, and Peter, in 1 Peter 2, says that we all, as church people, are a royal priesthood. Uh, we are to be sanctified, set apart, wholly devoted to God, and to bring offerings and, and sacrifices to the Lord in that regard, too. So God's building something great. And, and what's fascinating is that these Gentiles are called the offering. But a Gentile was never allowed to be in the temple, right? Uh, these guys were so far out, from, removed from the temple, they couldn't be even in the midst of it, right? And only once a year could, they, could the one special priest go into the holy, holy places and, and offer up the offering. But look here. These guys are the center of it, the Gentiles, the nations, right? And this is exactly what Isaiah 66, 20 says. And they shall bring your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. That's what Paul's saying here. Uh, the brothers are not just ethnic. They're people who have faith in Christ. This is the brothers. This is the sisters. This is what we pray for, for Jennifer Klein in Bartow, Florida. She's our sister. Uh, we, we have these offerings we present to the Lord. We are all priests. In our worship, in our work, in our witness, we are sanctified or set apart as a royal priesthood. We present ourselves and all others to Christ, to God. So God's building something great. Uh, Paul viewed himself as like a hammer, a screwdriver, a drill. Uh, you know, it might be not a drill, uh, but uh, his, his gospel was the instrument that he used. And the power of sanctification, you see, comes from the Holy Spirit. That's very rele- relieving to me, uh, is that the Holy Spirit is going to bring this. It says, it says that he's going to, look at 16. He's building this temple, right? The priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So as we consider our ministries of work, witness, and, and worship, the fruit and the sanctification comes by ministry of the Holy Spirit. So that, that relieves the, the weight off of my shoulders to know that I'm not alone here. That as I minister in the name of Jesus Christ, I direct them to the Lord and the Spirit does that work. And this is not the only place that uh, God considers himself, or Paul considers himself an eschatological temple builder. If you, if you were to, to think about 1 Corinthians 3, 9 and following, it says that we are God's fellow workers and you are God's building. According to the grace that God's given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is in Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. He's saying that, that uh, the word that's uh, built on the foundation, or the, the work on this foundation that's solid will survive. Now, think about that. Uh, he says there in, in, that, in that same text, in 16 of, of 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, that's not just necessarily saying, hey, you need to go do some physical exercise, you know, but, but that's saying you're, you are a building project. You are, you're building and building upon Christ, and that if God's, it says, in, in, and it says threat, actually, in 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. 
For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. It's to be an encouraging thing to think that you are God's building. You are undestructible because if anyone destroys you, God will just raise you back up like he did Christ. You're part of his temple. Now, you can take that and be encouraged because Jesus has more glory than Moses and Aaron. He is the true priest. He's not like a priest who dies and has to continually offer up sacrifice. He does it once for all. In, in Hebrews 3.3, 3, it says that Jesus has been counted more worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So the builder of this house is God. The Spirit is the one sanctifying it. And Christ is its foundation. We have a Father, Son, Holy Spirit building project that, we're, that we are participating in, and it will not be destroyed. This is your cathedral. This is your cathedral. Later in, the, in that faith chapter of uh, Hebrews 11, uh, the author cites Abraham, and it says that he was looking for a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go from that place and received the inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to the land of promise, lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the promise. And it says, in Hebrews 11.10, it says, For Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, this changes everything. This changes everything. Jonathan Edwards picked up on this, and he says, Christian love disposes a person to be public-spirited. A man of right spirit is not a man of narrow and private views, but is greatly interested and concerned for the good of the community to which he belongs, and particularly of the city or village in which he resides, and for the true welfare of the society of which he is a member. Edwards is orienting people who know the gospel, who know that they are part of something bigger, that they truly are part of something bigger, that their world expands beyond them, and they have a responsibility and a desire and a love for themselves, their families, their neighbors, their community, their society, and the world. And they want to show mercy and love of Christ and word and deed to the world, which is what Paul is speaking of, that the power of God is seen in this word and deed ministry. And for me, the, the, the takeaway from the study in this chapter is God's laid on me this sort of basic truth that, that Paul's vision is, is for the intended end of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's causing, it's causing Paul to be outward focused and care about people he doesn't really know. He's never seen them. He hasn't been to these places, but he cares deeply. He's moved by them. And, and he knows they're like sheep without a shepherd. They have no connection to Christ. They live in darkness. He's going to go and, and where there's been no foundations and build the foundation so that the church can do the means of grace and that people can be saved. And, and you, you think about, well, you know, I'm not called to sail around the world planting churches like Paul. Uh, I wasn't commissioned by the resurrected Jesus Christ in the flesh to go and do that. And you might think, well, I'm not an influential person like this guy. I don't have his background. You might think, well, my life can't have much of an impact. But you're not too small. You know, Paul, his name was, was humble, small man. Uh, he was just a, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kent Hughes describes him as, you know, on one side you've got Rome, 
the metropolis of the world, heart of the empire, insufferably proud on her seven hills, shaking the earth with the march of her fabled legions. On the other side was this little Jew with scarred face and feeble body, ostensibly impotent amidst such power, armed only with something he called the good news. Yet he changed the history of Rome, Western civilization, and indeed our own lives. Obviously, there was something about this little man that set him apart from the rest. What made him different is that what makes our text so interesting, having finished the argument of the book of Romans, he tells us why he wrote it and how he views his mission. He's building a cathedral. And why not him? You're not too small. He's not too small. And you're not alone. Paul's not alone. He's going to name drop 28 other people who have blessed him, among others, in the next few chapters, or next few verses. And, and he, think about it. Dale Earnhardt, you know, rest in peace. Dale Earnhardt raced his car, won some races, but he's just one man on a team, an organization. And, 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 and he put the car on the track, and sometimes they ended up in victory lane, but he didn't do it alone. Uh, we need one another. We need Christians to be contributing to the building, all doing our part. Everyone active. You know, there's going to be two point, there's 2.89, uh, billion people out there who have never heard of Christ, have no access to him. And you think about that, that could really make you sad. But day by day, you go to, you, you're called to go to bed or plan your day out before. Go to bed, wake up at a reasonable, responsible time, get to work, do that, and repeat it. Think about who you can serve that day. Serve that day. And you know what? You're laying, it may feel you could lay in bricks some days. But if you understand, you're, you're building a cathedral. You're bringing the nations to Jesus. You're going to have some more creativity. You're going to have some more energy and some more time. Because you're going to manage your time to think about, well, how can I solve this poverty problem? How can we work on these things? What do we need to do to bless the nations? What do we need to do uh, with the gifts we have? Now, that's not, maybe, not, maybe I can't solve that issue, but maybe you can't. Uh, maybe there's, there's ways you can bless the nations. As Paul says, we've got to take these, this offering to the poor in Jerusalem. They have to get this. What are the things that are going to take the priority for you and, and the ways you're going to serve in that way? Uh, wh- how are you going to get out of yourself and your, your hyper-selfishness and start to think of others? You've got to believe that you have a bigger purpose. Psychologists tell us that people who were victims in the Holocaust uh, those that, that were more likely to survive uh, were serving others. They had a position uh, of where they, they, they had others' em- well-being in their minds and in their, in their, their, their spirits. So they were trying to, to, to glorify God in that way. And, and you must have some kind of everyday activities that you're doing that are purposeful and a plan to bless the nations. Uh, there's, there's a story of a recent uh, MMA fighter who retired named Uriah Hall, and he, he, he came out recently talking about he had a deep depression. Why do you think he had a deep depression? His whole life was built for 19 years around being an excellent fighter. He didn't have that anymore. He looked at his, at his gun, and he said, well, I've got to get help because uh, I want to I take that and pull the trigger. He t- confessed his suicidal thoughts, and he realized that, that he, he felt like I had nothing to do. Uh, and he, then he started to fight again. <laughs> he, start, he started to exercise again. He says, man, you guys, if, you are feeling, if you're struggling with this, you've got you've to get, get people to talk to, and you've got to get exercise. I'm like, well, those things might help. But if you have no purpose, if you have no greater 
thing you're building, uh, it's only a Band-Aid until you come to no more Band-Aids left, the end of the box. And you're like, what what do I have left? If if life has no meaning, uh, you got nothing. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It may be difficult what we're called to do. It may be feel like an affliction, but it compares nothing to the eternal weight of glory of an eschatological temple built of people from all nations, all tribes. We look to the things that are not seen, the unseen things. The unseen things are eternal. Now, Luther dealt with the Roman church who was, who was uh, telling believers that they had to be significant by clergy offices, being a monk, being a nun, denying themselves. And I'm telling you, that is not true. All service is full-time Christian service. All godly sanctioned callings are full-time Christian service and are equally valid. That's the, that's the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, right? All believers serve as priests. We have to reclaim that in our minds because we tend to think of, well, those that are called to vocational ministry, those that are missionaries, are more holy and are closer to God. But everything we do is part of the building project of the eschatological temple. And that's why Paul does not do it alone. He's part of it all. None of us are Paul. None of us have his job. But we are part of this building project. And faith is going to express itself in our love for helping each other. So you may be banging your marimba. You may be teaching a class. You may be storm chasing. Uh, you may be, you know, uh, filing your taxes and keeping the books. Whatever you're doing, if you're studying, you, what, what you're doing is to the glory of the Lord. And whether you're storm chasing, you may, be, you may be excellently doing that so people can see the glories of God. And they can see the power of God and the mercies of God. You want to accurately do that as best you can. Whatever you're doing, you're called to change the world in word and deed. Whether you're slinging chicken, my, my friend Mark is a, is a radar guy, and he says, I send electrons into space to do stuff, and it bounces back, and it serves us uh, for God's glory. Economic advances. Maybe you can come up with some solutions to help people uh, improve their economic situation so they can actually get help or than handouts. David Platt says, the message of the biblical Christianity is not God loves me, period, but the message of biblical Christianity is God loves me so that I might make him his ways and his salvation, his glory and his greatness known to all the nations. And that's what Jesus says that we are called to do. Now, our greater significance is going to be found in finding this uh, cathedral building project is something we're involved in. We're building an eschatological temple because that's what God's doing. Uh, whether If you think there's you know, people out there who have a disease, uh, uh, disease problems, uh, clean water issues, illiteracy, uh, corrupt leadership. You can be part of the solutions of those things for God's glory. If you have the gifts and the skills to be a part of the solution, you can fight against those problems. And you want to do so because serving those areas serves God's glory. A life given to gospel ministry, which includes all those things, is the good life. Philippians 2.17, Paul says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Even if I'm being poured out and dead, I'm, I'm rejoicing because this is the way. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says this, all that we have is from God. Christ has reconciled us to himself and given us a ministry of reconciliation. And that is Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us, 
but entrusting us the, me- the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, for Christ, making God's appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, God reconciled God and man through extreme means, sending his own son to die upon a cross and to keep the law for us that we might, by faith, receive reconciliation. And, and so that cost him. And, that's, and when we do works of building and, and caring for others and serving their needs, it's going to cost us. But don't worry, because God is building an eternal temple of living stones, and your efforts are part of that. As you consider that, don't worry. You may be called to stand before the emperor. You may be called to, to answer for Christ. And you say, yes, I stand on the truth. I stand on what he's called me to do because of Christ. And I'm going to do so because I can do no other. We don't live by fear. We live by faith. And we live in faith on the promises of the word of God. And that we plant churches. We end hunger. We, we drive our kids to school. Uh, we, and we fight to end cancer. We do the next right thing. We plan our days. We wake up early every morning, get to work and pray, and we go to bed on time, and we do the same things, rinse and repeat every single day, discovering our particular gifts and how God can display his glory through us as we seek to build an eschatological temple. And the foundation of it, of course, is the gospel. The whole purpose of the Christian life is not just to make the world a better place, but to display the glory of God. Uh, not to make the world a nicer place, but to display the glory of God. And so as we are faithful to him and the positions we've been called to, to be a part of the project, in God's providence, we are going to display God's glory. And some will hear, and some will believe, and some will come to the Lord Jesus and be reconciled to him, because this is the promise that is being fulfilled in our day-to-day lives until he comes again. And that's good news. That the God of the universe became sin, that we might become righteous, become his priest, his royal priest, and build his temple. Let's pray.